3,000 origin stories that we don't need. This movie is definitely better than Thor The Dark World. They have like some sort of nanobot soup. So that was the blind guy. Sam Huygen. Original um, psycho. Hughan. Hugan. Well, they just make shit up. It's fine. I think it's Hoi Fan. In a sort of Grey's Anatomy kind of way. Groundhog Day like cycle. Yeah. All right. All right. Broadcasting live from inside the power band. This is The Blah. In this episode, everybody dies. I'm your host, super awesome Kev, along with my super friends, Ben. Ew. And Sea Chad Forever. <laughs> What's up? <laughs> Enthusiastic as always. Folks, this week, we're going to be talking about an exciting film that just came out. And it's received so much angst <laughs> from so many people <laughs> that we decided to jump in and do this film. It's Bloodshot starring Vin Diesel. And since we just released an episode about Vin Diesel and extolled the virtues of Diesel in that said episode, and that was Chronicles of Riddick just a few weeks ago, we decided to jump on this and see what all the fuss was about. So let's get into it. Yeah. Somebody start talking. Go. One of the things I thought was most interesting about this one was we spent a fair bit of time talking about the bad timing of Riddick and how it kind of caused that series to flop and fortunately has achieved cult status. But um, the corona situation here has caused this one to flop catastrophically. So it's it's very much a mirror image of that bad or unlucky timing thing. It seems. Yes, a conversation that I enjoyed thoroughly in the Chronicles of Riddick episode. Yeah, I mean, um, I think they're different movies for the obvious reasons, but uh, particularly like the universes are different enough where this one I'm not overly interested in broadly, whereas Riddick was far more interesting, but I just have so much <laughs> sympathy for Vin Diesel that I wanted to chuck 20 bucks at uh, whatever streaming service would allow me and <laughs> talk about and sympathize with the poor bastard on the show and, you know, <laughs> check the movie out. So what did you guys think of the thing just at a glance? Uh, Benny, go ahead. At a glance, uh, I enjoyed it, man. Um, it wasn't the best thing in the world. I don't know if it was worth uh, $20, but, you know, like you said, I really don't mind throwing down to support our buddy Vin. Um, so, yeah, I mean, <laughs> it wasn't like a... It wasn't epic, but I definitely came away like I, I enjoyed it more than I thought I would even. Mm, similar. Yeah. I, I can I can explain that a little better as we go along here, I think. Yeah, yeah, cool. What uh what would you say to the observation that it's a um origin film and we all know your hatred of origin films? Well, you know, when you're starting a new franchise, you kinda have to do one, don't you? Mm. And at least it's like it's not like it's been done before, so fuck it you know yeah it doesn't an origin film doesn't really count if it's the first time you know it's only like when they've rebooted the fucking series nine times that you know they start to become a bummer yeah our bitching is dependent on what we're talking about i mean <laughs> this isn't batman and it's not spider-man of which we've seen three thousand origin stories that we don't need and all those origin stories are created for people that aren't fans of those franchises yet. And it's like, we don't need to see that. But for Bloodshot, I definitely want to see it, man. I have no idea. I don't know anything about this character. I was not a Valiant Comics reader. 
I was not a dark horse reader when it went back when I was reading comics. I've never even heard of this comic. I like the premise. I like that it was based on a comic that kind of excited me when we started talking about it the other day. So it's like, yeah, I definitely want to know what the origin is. You get, you have to, man. There's a lot going on around this film, and we'll expound on that more later. But yeah, I definitely want to see the origin story. Yeah. And I guess it was less to do with, is it okay that it's an origin story, and more to do with, did did you guys feel any of that origin fatigue here? And it sounds like no, because it was a, a unknown piece of media prior. Absolutely. And there was a lot of fresh elements to this particular origin story, in my opinion. Yeah, I was going to say, as there are some sort of interesting angles they approached the origin story with uh, and how they did this movie. So that was kind of refreshing, I think. Yeah, I'm interested to talk about that a bit because I kind of, I wouldn't say I felt the opposite, but I definitely felt like it was more of a paella of other older films than it was something new. But um, yeah, I would be interested to hear a bit more about what was refreshing. Well, you know, refreshing for an origin story. Right. Not not refreshing for, you know, Reservoir Dogs. (laughs) Yeah. But like refreshing for a comic book film or refreshing for an origin story as part of a comic book film or? I said origin story. (laughs) Roger that. (laughs) Thanks, Dick. (laughs) But what I'm asking is, is like in addition to it being refreshing as an origin story, do you find it refreshing as a comic book, like a, a refreshing approach to a comic book film or not really? Absolutely. Yeah, I did. Yeah. I did. I, I've never seen anything like that. I like the whole I, – I didn't see any of that coming. You know, I was like, oh, this is cool. There was a lot of moments that I didn't see coming the first watch. And I didn't – unfortunately, I didn't get to just sit and, like, watch and absorb it. I had to, you know, do it in chunks like I usually do because I got a thousand things going on here. But the whole idea of being inserted into this situation in Mombasa, Kenya, you know, and then going home – and seeing his girl and all of that stuff, and then all of this stuff happens, you know, I was kind of like, okay, well, this is not that new. And then all of a sudden, the dude wakes up in a lab, and I was like, wait a minute, what? You know, so, yeah, it was definitely that that twist anyway. I mean, Ben may be right. I mean, it was there was a lot of formulaic stuff there in the beginning, but adding the twist of the lab and the whole thing, I was like, wow, this is different. Mm. So, yeah, I, th- I thought it was very cool. It was certainly an in uh it was certainly a moment where I was like, Oh, interesting, as opposed to like, yeah, same old, same old. Yeah. And maybe that was more my reaction, not like wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, this is this is amazing. Guys, this is amazing. This is amazing. Oscar contender for sure. So the beginning of the movie, like you said, they're you know, it's pretty I was like, oh, okay, you know, he's a special forces guy. He's, uh, you know, he's, he's he's got a trophy wife at home that he really loves. And oh shit, the bad guys got him. Oh, they're gonna they're gonna hurt his wife. Oh, it's gonna be a revenge story, you know. And I was like, yeah, snore, you know. I just <laughs> I was not into that. Uh, so yeah, the twist of him, the whole twist of them like rewriting his memory every time they bring him back to hunt down a new target. I thought that was cool. I wasn't expecting that. So, um, Nor I. that, that took that feeling of like, uh, snore to like, Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Very similar from my perspective too. Yeah. And I couldn't tell you if that's like part of the comic book thing or if that's just, uh, something they're doing for the movie. 
I yeah, I was interested to know that as well. I was like, is this part of the lore of the comic, or is this just something that they wrote for the film? Which is fine if they did. I mean, we we talked about differences and adaptations between books and movies comic books sort of fall under the realm of books so yeah i i yeah i agree with uh ben it's funny i i was thinking a lot of those thoughts and then just hearing you right now ben i realized that it wasn't my own voice in my head it was your voice <laughs> in my head while i was watching it <laughs> I mean, maybe, maybe I was a little overly uh, generous. It's first thing in the morning. It's a beautiful day here, so <laughs> I'm in a good mood. So maybe I was a bit overly generous uh, in my initial. So I'm, I'm glad that you uh, you did your own recap in your own voice because I, I think that's more right. I was kind of like, okay, here we go. You know, all right, and then you know, yeah, he wakes up in the lab, and you're like, wait a second, that makes the whole thing different, you know. Mm-hmm. And then, and then I don't know, I. I Maybe it's jumping ahead a little bit too quickly, but then reprogramming his memory every single time, that was another, in my opinion, stacked twist. Like, I didn't see that coming either. So, yeah, you know, they the way that they layered out the film, can I talk about this now or is it too early? Do we want to do a quick synopsis? I mean, I would assume that if some of the listeners might have not seen it yet and still want to hear the show anyways. Or I guarantee you that everybody has not spent the $20 to watch this movie. So yeah, yeah let's do a little <laughs> synopsis. <laughs> it's highly unlikely. Ben, are you up for it? Uh, I'll take a swing. I watched it literally like right after we did the podcast last Sunday. So it's a little foggy now. Nice. Um, well, then just make shit up. It's fine. It might be better if somebody who's seen it closer to make shit up. It's fine. Great. Yeah. All right. So Vin Diesel is a sort of top secret weapon for this sort of uh, group of like augmented soldiers that is run and sort of created by um, Guy Pierce's character. And as such, he died. We don't actually. We don't really know what the truth is there about his death. Perhaps just died in action or whatever. But whatever, through some miracle of uh, nanotechnology, they're able to bring him back. They have like some sort of nanobot soup that uh, has replaced his <laughs> <laughs> replaced his blood. So they're using him as a weapon to hunt down various targets and assassin. And the way they're doing this is they. Every time he completes a mission, they bring him back in and put him under and erase all of his memories. And then they feed him this story about how they feed him a story about how his wife was killed in front of him by this psycho guy. And they, they basically just insert a new face every time they they bring him back and they just kind of wake him up and send him off on his own to, to go do the deed. And uh, I guess he manages to wriggle himself free of this sort of Groundhog Day-like cycle with a little help from some new friends. And uh, he fights back against uh, Guy Pierce and his uh, evil henchmen and uh, <laughs> saves the day for himself, I guess. That was that. That was good. I want you to read all of the synopses going forward. <laughs> I still, I'm still stuck on nanobot soup. <laughs> What's for dinner? Nanobot soup, man. Move over, Admiral Akbar's 
New England style clam chowder. We've got nanobot soup on the menu. What? Oh my god, dude. Nice tie-in to a very old episode. Wow, that was great. No, really good, Ben. Definitely. Yeah, the only the only very, very minor point which you made, but just to clarify it a, a tiny bit further, is when they bring Diesel back through, they've changed the face of the target as opposed to, you know, for those that haven't seen the show, they'll, the the movie, they change the face of the target to match whoever they want to kill, and that's the person who kills Vin Diesel's wife. Yes, yes, right. Yes, yes. He's essentially... An assassin who doesn't know he's an assassin. Right. He thinks he's doing revenge, but yeah. Right. And and when you listen to it, like I was just listening to Ben retell, you know, the basic plot, and it's like, that's a really cool story. Like, that's what I'm thinking when I'm listening to him. Like, that's a really cool story, man. You know, like, it is a cool story. I've never seen anything quite like that, you know? Maybe Memento or... yeah. Which is yeah, kind of ish. funny that guy oh, pierces. That's yeah, <laughs> definitely, dude. I've got Act One, Run Lola, Run Run Lola Run meets Memento, so I'm I'm definitely there. Yeah, yeah. Run Lola Run is a great movie too. Uh, for all the listeners out there, those are both of those films are definitely worth seeing. But it's awesome that Guy Pierce is in there because it, it definitely has some Memento flavorings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does. And in a way. Guy Pierce is playing the John G character, you know? So, like, mm. he's playing the guy that manipulates the character into killing whoever he wants, which is the opposite in Memento. So it's it's really interesting that they, they cast him in that role. Most definitely. Yeah, one might have to think there was some intention there. Yeah, you'd. Ha- I would hope, <laughs> for sure. Yeah, Guy Pierce, man, he's a... Uh... I'm a huge fan of his. Oh, definitely. I have been since L.A. Confidential. That was his first big American movie, and I that's one of my, in my all-time top five films, Amer- uh, L.A. Confidential. He was so good in that and so good in just about everything that he's done. He's kind of like a, I know, it's funny. I was watching this movie, and I was like, Guy Pierce is, this This may be bold, but I'm going to say it anyway. He, he's he's almost a, an Australian Gary Oldman. Yeah. You know, he... He he's really really skilled, and he brings it every single time. He's excellent in just about every single thing he does. He's just good like that, man. Brings a lot of uh, ammo to every production that he does. Yeah, yeah, he's great. Good casting choice. I was relieved to see him in this movie. Okay, we we got our synopsis. Where do we go next? Um, I wouldn't mind just chiming in quickly about the high level stuff because. My first reaction to the opening scenes were very similar to yours, uh, Ben, and and yours, Kev, where it's just kind of like ho-hum, kind of normal bullshit opener, hope this gets better. But, like, the visuals were really jarring for me, so it's like, you know, I remember it it being, like, the sound of the guys in the radio was hyper-unrealistic, and, like, the colors were really saturated, and he's going in solo and not waiting for anybody, and it all had that really video gamey kind of feel, mm. Mm. cut scene kind of feel, and then, like, the next scene, this is just, like, the first two minutes of the movie, the next scene, you know, Psycho Killer from the Talking Heads plays, and it's a bit eye-rolly and, and whatnot, and then, you know, you get a little bit further down the track and find out it's a set piece, and it, like, they're referencing how stupid it is, you know, and so I thought that that self-referential stuff was part of that twist in the beginning where you're like oh okay well that makes way more sense why that was such a weird looking sequence now Mm. 
You mean how he was like ragging on Eric later that he has put every movie cliche. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I, I really like that too, man. It really explained a lot. Like the film, go ahead, Chad. Sorry. No, that's it. Like it, it explained a lot and it like, you know, the first time you see the nerdy Eric, you know, techie guy, which is another cliche, like a Bourne movie style cliche. Um, he's like not paying attention as they're like tracking him on the satellite and they're like, Guy Pierce is is saying, Eric, pay attention. And you're like, why the fuck would he be like on his iPhone texting somebody? And you realize after the twist that it's because they've done this a hundred fucking times and he's so goddamn bored, you know? Yes. So it's just a it's a clever way to kind of keep the audience on its toes. Yeah, exactly. Uh, guys, hang on a second, hang on a second. Folks, we're going to be getting right back to the nerdery in a second, but I just had to take a quick break because I want to thank everybody so much for tuning into the show. We put a lot of work into it and we really love doing it. And if you like the show, there's a couple of great ways you can support the show. First, you can rate us and review us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And you can also tell someone to check out the show. Word of mouth is incredibly powerful, incredibly important, and we really appreciate it. Thanks so much for tuning into the show, and now back to the mayhem. So talking about Guy Pierce uh, is a great segue for talking about the rest of the cast. Of course, we could leave Diesel out for later. We just extolled the virtues of Diesel in our Chronicles of Riddick episode. <laughs> uh, when I f- saw this, like, I didn't recognize any of these actors in this movie. Obviously, um, Australian Gary Oldman, Guy Pierce, and uh, Diesel. But um, this Jamie, I cannot pronounce his name. Hughan, maybe would be the way to pronounce it. Hugan. Who was he? The original um, psycho? No, he was the guy with the robotic legs. Oh yeah, which I believe is that Tibbs. Tubbs. I don't know. I think Tibbs is uh, according to IMDb is Alex Hernandez. So that was the blind guy. Sorry, Dalton. Ooh, nice name. Dalton, <laughs> Jimmy Dalton. So Dalton from Roadhouse, exactly. Sam um, Sam Huygen, maybe Sam Hughan or Hugan. It's a he's a Scottish actor. All right, well, glad we could butcher that one up nice. We're going to do that a few times, apparently. <laughs> yeah, we really talk about a death. That that guy died when we eviscerated it's probably his human. Name. What is it, Chad? Probably what. I'm just guessing if it's Scottish, it's probably Hewan or something like that. Exactly. It's Ewan or Hewan. Yeah. Totally. Because let's definitely spend 20 minutes talking about that. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's right up our alley. I think it's Hoi Fon. Hoi Fon. <laughs> Is Victor, Victor Wong? <laughs> Getting back on track, I was, as always, I'm watching all the actors. I'm like, who's this guy? Who's this guy? Who's this guy? We got... You know, Australian Gary Oldman, Vin Diesel, the girl. I don't know who the girl is. I don't know who this guy is. So as this morning, as I was ramping up to do this, I was like, well, you know, let me go on Amazon. Because Chad had said like, oh, this movie's getting a lot of shit from all these people. And I was like, well, let me go on Amazon and just take a look at some of these reviews and see what people are saying. And like straight off the bang, like the first – in the first 10, there was – a whole bunch of them that were like Sam Hewins in this movie. And like some of the reviews were literally Sam Hewins in this movie. That's it. I was like, okay, who, who is this guy? Like what, what is so great about him? Well, he's from a, a stars original series called outlander, 
not dissimilar to Highlander, and it takes place in (laughs) Scotland. But it's not about magic swords and immortals and shit like that. It's about a girl after right after World War II who goes to this sacred site and gets transported back in time, and then he's the sort of the main guy in 1700s Scotland. And guessing from the couple of reviews that I read every single woman on the planet is in love with him in a sort of Grey's Anatomy kind of way, which is fine. So he's in this movie, and he's, I guess, a big deal now. People really like him. And he's he's a, like I said, Scottish actor. He's well-trained. He's got a lot of awards and accolades for the few things that he has done on the stage and on the screen. So he's, I guess, lending some muscle to this film. I thought his character was interesting, a little weird, and I don't think we really got to see enough of him mm. to, mm. to kind of flesh out the character. You know what I mean? He got the metal legs. It was a risky operation, but it was worth it. <laughs> God damn it. That, probably the best tie-in ever. <laughs> That's so good. How did I not see an algorithm algorithms passing out? I love it. He is now known um, as JP. Okay, so now, what, so what do we dub him now, Ben? Future JP <laughs> post robotic legs JP. Well, the character name character name is Jimmy Dalton, so I guess JD would do. Ooh, I like it. I like it a lot, man. All right, so I guess the re- the real shame is that we didn't hear him go adios, turd nuggets at the end <laughs> in the all CG elevator shaft fight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly, which is what he should have done, man, with those damn those sweet arms and the legs and, like, the spider running. Like, my God, dude. Yeah, he definitely should have dropped that line. Mm-hmm. So we'll lament that. So Jamie Hewan's in this movie, and then Alex Hernandez. I've never seen him in anything else. I thought he was great. Was he the blind guy? Indeed. Tallulah Riley. Never seen her in anything else. Yeah, you have. She played Gina. Oh. What's that? She was the woman that greets everyone as they come off the train in Westworld season one and plays a role in other Westworld seasons. Ah. Ooh, nice. I thought she was familiar looking. Yeah. I like it. So there you have that. And then what did we say? Isa? Isa? Isa Gonzalez. Yeah, I, got, I very much got like a, a Megan, I'm blanking her name, Transformers girl. Megan Fox. Megan Fox vibe from her, like being cast as the eye candy. I mean, she did all right, but maybe the direction was poor because it kind of had that like, she's kind of a flat character a lot of the time. She was in Alita Battle Angel. (laughs) (laughs) Was she? With JP? (laughs) Wait, JP was in Battle Angel? Oh my God, dude. You know what this movie is turning into? This movie is like a nexus point for all reality of the EBD podcast. So <laughs> <laughs> so we got Sam Hewen, who gets the metal leg operation that JP wanted in Grandma's Boy. So now he's transformed into JD. <laughs> I love that. We've got Joel David Moore. David Joel Moore was in Alita Battle Angel with Isa Gonzalez. And Isa Gonzalez was in Hobbs and Shaw, which is a Fast and Furious franchise film starring Vin Diesel. And I was going to chime in a minute ago that you could almost call the actor that plays JD this movie's Nick Chinland as the side character that everybody ends up loving. Ooh, man. Yes. 
Absolutely, dude. And also, the movie has Australian Gary Oldman in it. So there you go. <laughs> it's quite a little soup we got going here. Which ties it into Memento, which is the major plot point of the first act. Oh, my God. Yes, exactly. So it turns out the movie actually has some depth when you talk about it. The plot doesn't have depth, but the movie does. Well, and the movie has depth when you come at it from our point of view. I guess. Completely <laughs> twisted into quantum reality. When you're tasked with talking about a movie for as long as the runtime of the movie, you find reasons to talk about it. Absolutely. So getting back on track, I want to talk about Isa Gonzalez for a second. I think that because um, you said the character was a little bit flat. Yeah, she was all right, but the character was a bit flat, which, I mean, makes sense. It's a comic book character, so it's probably going to be a bit mm. whatever. Yeah. You know, I I, I was going to say this. I was watching the film, and I was like, you know what? She's, like, too flat, too hot, too this, too that. And then I was like, wait a second. I haven't seen any of her other work, so I can't really say. And what I really – and then, of course, after I watched the rest of the film, I was really like, you know, it's it's a real shame that – the character was written too flatly, and they made her look too pretty. Yeah. I don't think it served the character well, and I definitely don't think it served her well. And it kind of then I got really bummed out about it. I was like, here's an actress, Mexican actress, who's perfectly capable, done, you know, a bunch of high profile stuff, and it's like, and they have to make her look so smoking hot that it takes away from any potential that the actual character had. And the actual character had a lot of potential. I mean, the whole idea of her having that clavicle-mounted breather that was controlled by Harding alone was a cool enough character point. You know what I mean? And it was central. And, you know, her whole idea of, you know, revealing to Ray what was really going on was great, but it was downplayed. And I didn't like that, you know? It, it, they should have spent more time on that. And I think you know, that that's sort of the beginning of, like, why the movie probably didn't do as well as it could have. You know what I mean? So mm. that's all I want to say about her. I would like to see more of her because I was disappointed that they didn't do her justice in this movie. Just a very quick aside on her is um, I didn't recognize her similarly to you and then looked her up afterwards, and she was darling and baby driver. And I recall that character being really well done. So she clearly has the chops. So Really well done. That movie was so good. I bought that movie straight away, and I really liked it, and I really liked her in it. Mm. And I'm glad you brought that up because I forgot about that one. Yeah. Uh, I, I liked her. I thought she was good. Um, I thought the weird clavicle-mounted breathing thing was bizarre, um, especially that she seemed to be breathing through her mouth <laughs> through the entire thing. Like, I don't know why you would need to have that. But anyways, yeah, I liked uh, Lamorne Morris, Wilford Wiggins. I thought that was an interesting character. I liked him. He was funny. Good comic relief. Also, uh, Siddharth Dahanajay as uh, Eric, that he was the tech dude. Mm. Nice um, name pronunciation. I, I absolutely would have butchered that probably worse than Sam Hugh Fon. Uh, I don't know. I just said it confidently. Could be completely wrong. <laughs> I like it. It was balls to the wall. <laughs> he took he took Chad's advice and just said it confidently, and it worked. You just got to go for it, man. See? It just works, man. The Wilford Wiggins guy... Um... I'm with you on that, Benny. He definitely had the, shit, I can't remember his name, from Ocean's Eleven, but the dude that blasts off the EMP, and also kind of Ving Rhames in uh, in um, Mission Mission Impossible kind of vibe going. So I thought that he, he, he played that really well. Don Cheadle. 
Yeah, Don Cheadle. Thanks. Don, yeah, yeah. Don Cheadle was in Ocean's the Ocean's films. Yeah, I. You know what? I I'm gonna slightly disagree with you guys. Great actor. Really liked the character. I just really thought some of the dialogue was super hackneyed. Man, I was like, come on. Like he was funny and. He was quirky and weird enough, and then like you'd get these really dumb cliche lines, and I was or lines that just didn't fit, and I was like, "Come on, yeah, you know, like do again, do him justice, man, do the character justice, do do the actor some justice, you know." So I don't, I'm not saying it was him, I'm not saying it was the actor, but just I didn't really dig some of the writing around him. I thought it was a little, little thin. Mm. I suppose that echoes kind of the sentiment from us talking about the beginning where you're just kind of like, ah, same old, same old. And you're like, oh, that was interesting or that was interesting. So it seems like the movie had some interesting sprinklings and the some interesting elements, but overall, like it didn't quite hit the mark in a variety of ways. So the dialogue was one of those things. Yeah. Yeah, it was. And like, you know, like one of the examples is like when he has the basketball and he's in the truck and he turns around and he goes, Kobe, and throws the basketball. I'm like, why does that need to be there? Because the guy's African-American? I was like, he's British, for Christ's sake. Well, who's to say he's even into basketball? Their whole bag is football. Like, I was like, unnecessary. You know, didn't need to be there. Stupid. Wait, do they have African-Americans in Britain? I mean, maybe if someone moved over there, but <laughs> but not normally. <laughs> <laughs> that, was straight, that was straight from Venture Brothers. Uh, remember the characters? Jefferson Twilight, Blackula Hunter. Oh my God! Yes, it was basically like uh, I don't know. I think they were they were trying to channel uh, like Sam Jackson mm. as like a vampire hunter, sort of like a twist on uh, Blade. <laughs> but but like one of his one of his buddies was like, "Do you mean African American vampire hunter?" He's like, "No, I hunt Blackulas. They don't have African American vampires in Britain." Like, <laughs> 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 That's the best tie-in ever, Benny. I love that. And I would watch a Samuel L. Jackson Vampire Hunter movie any day. Yeah, so would I. So moving right along, um, Wiggins was good. That was Lamorne Morris. That's the name of the actor. I just, you know, thought some of the dialogue was a little bit thin. Anything else about the cast? Who did you say after Wiggins, Benny? I can't recall. <laughs> Siddharth Dahanajay. Oh, Siddharth, yeah. Yeah, the dude that played Eric was was quite good. He was like just smarmy enough and and fit the cliche quite well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he was good. Like I, I thought the comedy around him was funnier. Like it was, it was good. You know, like can you augment me? <laughs> and then you know, like we're not, we're not IT guys. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, we're te we're techies. The dick jokes. The dick jokes fell a bit flat for me, but the that IT shit was funny. You're right. The dick joke was like whatever, but like you know, the IT joke was pretty funny. And just his sort of his general sort of you know apathy was great. He's like, oh, yeah, whatever. All right, yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, I'm on it. And then when he's like giving the thumbs up to all the other like tech people in the room and they're all just kind of rolling their eyes like, yeah, whatever, dude. You know, that was pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, on, on that Eric scene, kind of with the other techies in the room, like in the satellite control room bullshit, what were your guys' feelings on the like self-awareness of the movie? I found myself at times being like, entertained by the self-awareness and at other times being like frustrated by the self-awareness i feel like a movie like deadpool did self-awareness really well whereas it seems like a really kind of more and more overused trope these days and the whole like give me an example oh uh, i mean the specific example that i didn't necessarily hate was the like 
Vin Diesel's back in the sequence and he's like, oh, you put the psycho killer thing in. What is this, a fucking movie, you know? And it's just like, well, yeah, it is a movie, you know? So it's, mm-hmm. there's kind of self-aware moments. It's not breaking the fourth wall, but it's, you know, referencing that you're watching a film, you know? Right. And um, kind of uh, what brought the, the, the change of topic to mind was like, the satellite control room is such a trope, like a born identity style trope. And then the like nerdy tech dude who clickety clacks on his keyboard and is like hacked into the mainframe is such a trope. And then I really found it quite funny how there's like a bunch of other random people in the room that like awkwardly like look down at their keyboards while the dude like turns off the girl's lungs, you know, it's like it kind of had a self-awareness or you would hope it was self-aware as opposed to just like having a bunch of random people awkwardly in the room, you know. And I was curious what you guys took away from kind of those moments in the film and whether it bothered you or whether you noticed or that kind of thing. Uh, didn't bother me per se, but I definitely don't think it did anything to help this movie. I feel like they they really leaned into certain tropes on purpose in this movie. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I can kind of see why they did it. You know, otherwise you're just trying to, you know, if you're sort of, if you're sort of, if the trope has to be in there and people have seen it a million times, then it sort of makes sense, I guess, to to like really just lean into it and, as well, and yeah. go with it, you know. Um, and it, it's sort of fitting with like the whole opening of the movie and the way the movie is unfold unfolded, anyways. So it 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 yeah, I know what you're saying. It, it there were a couple times where I felt a little like eh. But at the same time, I was like, no, I mean, this is what this is. So it's either you're going to watch it and you're going to you're going to be into it or you're going to annoy the fuck out of yourself the entire time. Yeah. Yeah. And just like for super easy math, like if it happened 10 times in the film, more than half of those times, I was like stoked with it. And then the other half, I was like, eh. so like more often than not, I was OK with it. But I, yeah, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, leaning into it implies that, you know, that it's there. So you're doing it on purpose. So when you're doing it on purpose, it definitely is a totally different vibe than if you're not doing it on purpose. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And you would know as the creators that you're not the first person to do those scenes. So you might as well lean into it. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You know, so I don't, I don't know, like, you know, ta- having the movie references there in the beginning with acts and then referencing it later, I was like, well, there's nothing wrong with that. Like yeah. it's, it totally lends to the story. Like it was great. Because he was basically ragging on the nerdy tech guy, you know, being like, dude, come on, you're using all these movie tropes. Like, it's like, great, you know? And if they had done more of that, it probably would have been too much like Deadpool and, you know, whatever. And we we definitely don't need a, a Deadpool clone, for Christ's sake. No. No. Well, I mean, you know, Deadpool breaks the fourth wall all the time in the comic book. So it's kind of a thing with the character. And I don't know if that's a thing with Bloodshot, but, mm-hmm. but yeah, you know, you definitely don't. I don't, I wouldn't think anybody would want to rip that off. So, so that, that could transition into my, um, act two movie comparison where I felt like the second act was Jason Bourne meets the Terminator <laughs> where like it all, you know, it's all about finding Jason Bourne, you know, tracking down Vin Diesel. And meanwhile, Vin Diesel is going full Terminator, getting the side of his face blasted off and, you know, driving big trucks around and stuff. And did you get the Jason Bourne Terminator vibe from that second act? Or what did you guys think about the whole like Diesel going out in his own revenge thing, rinse and repeat? I think that's uh, <laughs> that that's well put. Yeah, I don't, I don't like 
it kind of disarmed me when you said that. It made me laugh, and then now I'm like, yeah, no, that that's about right. I think. Mm. Agree. It is right. The um the born trilogy thing, well, the born identity thing in particular was interesting because like it seemed like a lot of the critic articles, not the like you know mere mortal people like us talking about it on Amazon or whatever, were all like, this is the worst thing ever, and Vin Diesel's a piece of shit, you know, just like they did with Riddick and. Um, also some people complain that it should have been fleshed out more. And I kind of feel like, I kind of feel like the Bourne trilogy for me shows what a Bourne like movie being fleshed out is. And I prefer the first Bourne movie to the, the follow up movies and stuff. So I feel like that kind of proved that fleshing it out wouldn't make much of a difference. And so I feel like this movie being a self-contained single movie really kind of is a service to the film in a way, even though it is, you know very similar to a lot of other films. I feel like if they turned this into a trilogy, it would have gotten real boring real fast. Well, okay. I I was actually going to say the opposite. So firstly, I'm going to say that every single critic review I read of certainly every movie that doesn't do well feels like that particular critic is just trying to say whatever they can to make people read their review or get attention or whatever you want to say. And I'm, I cannot tell you how sick of it I am. Like when you watch movies on voodoo, like I often do like this one, they'll give you like a rotten tomatoes snapshot. And it's like, you see all of the bad reviews and they're annoying to the point of just being completely irrelevant. It's like, you couldn't possibly have watched the movie. I mean, this movie isn't that bad. Like people are talking about how terrible it is and all that. And really, I kind of think to the tie-in is that, and the tie-in to what you said, Chad, is that this was intended to be the start of an entire Valiant cinematic universe. That was, I got a little bit of reading done this morning about it. And this was supposed to be a trilogy or a quadrilogy of movies about Bloodshot. And then they were going to start bringing in other characters, like this character Harbinger. I don't know anything about these characters, but, you know, wherever the movie might have been thin in terms of story and explanation, we might have seen it in the next film. And if they make the next film, we may still see it. I I don't know what they're going to do. You know what I mean? So I think it would have been interesting to see the story fleshed out in the next film. Because, yeah, there was a lot of things... I don't feel like it wasn't fleshed out enough. I I think it was probably a little too short. They probably should have added another 15 minutes to it and just expounded on a few of the scenes that were in there. Mm. I don't know if that has to do with the writing or what. It's tough to say, man. It may be there and they just decided to cut it in the editing room. I have no idea. you know. Or it could have been that they left that on purpose for the next film. I mean, one of the things I loved about this movie is we don't know how he really died. You know, so if we're just talking about what works for a second, like going back to where we were in the beginning, you know, the fact that he wakes up in the bed and you're like, whoa, okay, what's up with this? Then you see that they're continually doing it. And you're again, you're like, wow, okay, I wait, what's going on here? You know, and then even still at the very end, like they drive off into the sunset. Yes, tropey, all that. But we still don't know how he died originally. And I'm dying to know how he died originally. I feel like there's an entire story there. Yeah. You know, and even the, the how we got from him, you know, taking I got something to take care of and he goes in and he basically kills everybody, including the building in RST, you know, and then we <laughs> cut to he wakes up in the trailer and it's like, well, 
it would have been cool to kind of see what the transition was there. You know what I mean? Like yeah. what did, what did Wiggins do to get him off the RST thing? Da, 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 da. I mean, they explained a little bit of that, but it's like, I just wanted to know more. Like I, again, there's cool lore in this movie. There's the beginnings of some very cool lore and some good world building that was clearly created in the comic. It's like, I, I'm curious to see more. Like it's good enough that I want to see more. You know what I mean? Mm. Yeah. On that Kev, I mean, like, it kind of crystallizes my opinion that I was attempting to express earlier where like my initial reaction is where the Bourne movies kind of somewhat told the same story three times where it's like, you know, Bourne doesn't know who he is. He's being chased. He escapes. Bourne knows kind of who he is, but needs to find out more and he escapes and blah, blah, blah. I kind of feel like that would be a mistake if they were to make multiples in this particular case. And I'd kind of rather see this movie be the origin and then moving forward, he like, does other shit or forms up a, a team like the Avengers or whatever they're going to do with their cinematic universe. But, you know, we don't need to dig into that in great detail. It also reminded me of um, what you guys were mentioning about the characters in terms of like wishing that the characters were given slightly better or more, more time or better dialogue where like, I thought it was interesting that um, Guy Pierce went from like your initial meeting him and being like, oh, he saved his life and he's got a robotic arm too because he was also hurt to like total evil bad guy who's killing all of his coworkers quite quickly. <laughs> and a little bit more time to flesh that out would have been interesting. And similarly for the uh, blind guy, like he, he wasn't really given a hell of a lot of time. So mm. that that later part of the second half of the film where it's like Guy Ritchie on a major vendetta. No, sorry, Guy Pierce on a major vendetta was kind of interesting and yet not fleshed out enough to be overly believable, I guess. Mm, mm -hmm. How did you guys react to the, like, programming him to kill all of his coworkers so that he can steal all the money? I I thought that that was a great plot point. I mean, again, like, we've I've already said it. It was like I didn't see any of that coming, mm. and I really dug it, you know? And I never seen anything quite like that. And the whole idea of a man bent on revenge, like, them knowing that a man bent on revenge is going to be the best assassin. Yeah. I, I thought that that was a really cool injection into this story. It was kind of like a heist movie in a way where like, you know, Guy Pierce is the leader of the heist and all the other people there are like in it for their cut of the money. They're not really interested in good or bad. Wait, say, say that one more time, Chad. Well, it's, it, I was just saying it's, it's almost like Guy Pierce. It's like a heist movie in a way where like you get a heist movie where, you know, a bunch of people get together and they're going to split the reward and that's the incentive to do it. And in this case, like Guy Guy Pierce is like, I'm going to kill everyone off in my company so that I'm the only one that can make the billions of dollars and you're all my employees. You're going to get your cut. You be immoral too. And everyone's like, okay, except for, you know, KT and Vin Diesel who figures it out that he's being used, you know? Right. So you're saying it's sort of a reverse heist. In a way, yeah. In a way, yeah. Hmm, that's an interesting way to look at it, man. Definitely. Yeah, I can get behind that. That's that's pretty cool. Mm. I mean, he's he's sort of eliminating – I mean, he's not sort of. He's eliminating everybody. So, yeah, he can keep all of the cash. And then the people that are helping him do it are the people that he's endowed with all this incredible technology. So they're sort of indentured to him in a way. Yeah, they think they're going to get a piece if they stay loyal or whatever. Because mm. I just never got, quite got the motivations of uh, JD or the blind guy. Yeah, right. Exactly. I didn't really get that they had done it hundreds of times or, or yeah. certainly tens of times until later on in the film, which I like that. I like when, you know, films keep you guessing and you don't know exactly where they're going, you know? And that's that's why Jamie Hewan 
right? No, Sam Hewen. Sorry, was so uh, like angsty and exasperated because he's done it so many times. Like I didn't get that at first. I was like, this character is so dumb, you know. And then later, when you know, again with the reveal, then I was like, oh, okay, makes sense. I get it. Mm, yeah, it's like a reverse death. <laughs> <laughs> Well, let's get into Act 3. What's your comparison? I'm curious to hear. Yeah, well, I mean, just like the JD and the blind guy going after Diesel and um, Diesel getting captured by the last remaining member of the company and then, you know, Wilford Wiggins' hacker taking him for his own was was kind of the beginning of Act 3 and it climaxes in a, you know, Spider-Man versus Doc Ock elevator battle. <laughs> mm. But... um my notes for Act Three were Westworld meets Matrix Revolutions. Like that fight scene at the end was so Neo and Agent Smith, Dragon Ball Zing in the air and the rain. Like it was the most 2003 fucking action sequence ever. It also had some elements of uh, Winter Soldier, a la the elevator fight. You know, yeah, there's a lot, of, a lot, of, lot going on there. I mean, it's very easy to say nowadays in 2020 like oh this is from this and this is from that and this is from this i mean i don't know maybe it was maybe it wasn't i i liked i liked his exoskeleton i liked uh dalton's exoskeletal arms that were longer than his actual arms you know that was pretty, i mean there's a lot of a lot of cool things going on there like the the way that they portrayed his character with the, the tech was great you know again we just didn't see enough of it. Ditto with uh, Tibbs, you know, like not having any eyes and having like this sort of harness mounted visual system, you know, in that helmet that he had with the, when he was on the motorcycle was sick. Yeah. In fact, the motorcycle scenes were great. I mean, sorry, I'm kind of getting all over the place, but. Uh, that's it. I'm curious, Benny's reaction to the kind of the third part of the film. I feel like by the third part, I was like, okay, um, I was starting to feel my superhero movie fatigue in general totally um you know and uh yeah isn't it weird times where we can like pick apart these action scenes that like if we hadn't ever seen them before we'd be like oh my god that's fucking amazing you know but now we're just like ah, i've seen that before you know <laughs> it's a really good point actually so we could probably spend 20 minutes talking about that alone but yeah yeah and uh, i'm really not shitting on the movie it's as good as anything else that's out there but just by that point I mean, as far as the action goes, it's as good as anything else that's out there. I just, by by that point, I was just like, eh, all right, come on, let's wrap this bitch up, you know? Yeah. <laughs> that was kind of how I was feeling in the third act. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, I, I got to agree. I was feeling the same way. I was kind of like, okay, you know, like the Wiggins, the dialogue was already starting to kind of grate on me a little bit. And I was like, all right, you know, there's nothing. Again. Oh, I got to chime in and interrupt you, though, Kev. The Wiggins, Joffrey Jover shit was so funny. I cracked up so hard yes yes i i'm trying to decide it just felt like a part it felt like it was part of our podcast and that's why i found it funny okay yeah all right and from that respect yeah it was funny because of our connection to it you know and i don't know man but like taking it in a vacuum in the movie itself uh, i i just felt like it was an unnecessary line that did not need to be inserted into that part you know that's fair, but I immediately thought of our show and that cheer. I made me it made me smile. Yeah, the 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 third act in general was just like yeah. I mean there was nothing, and again like Ben said, not shitting on it, just nothing groundbreaking there. And I don't know how much groundbreaking stuff we're gonna see at this point. I mean, so many things have been done already. You know, like 
Tom Cruise has driven Lamborghinis off the top of buildings in Dubai. I mean, like Vin Diesel in Fast and the Furious. I mean, he's driven a vehicle out the back of an airplane and they're flying through the air and then they connect cable. I mean, like, dude, what hasn't been done, man? I mean, they've gone to the top and then went a little further and it's like, I don't know where else we could possibly go, you know? So, and I'm saying that in defense of every action sequence ever made. It's like, I don't know, man. Yeah, I don't know where anybody could possibly go. So, at any rate. I think that's a good wrap-up of Act 3. It it was very much, like you said, Benny, you know, similar to a lot of the third acts in a lot of superhero movies of late. And and as you said, Kev, it's kind of hard to call up with something new because everyone's done everything. So, pretty much says it all. I've got uh, one pseudo-nugget, if you want, before we rate. Ooh, pseudo. Do it. Do it. It's not a legit nugget, but it's a nugget enough to bring to the show where when KT ends up beating up uh, Wiggins, she flips out to uh, Big Trouble Batons. And I thought I th- immediately thought of you, Kev, talking about your favorite batons that you wanted. <laughs> mm, yes, the batons, man. I was feeling that too. I was like, yo. So a bit more of a self-referential nugget, but... No, that's fine, too, man. We can have meta-references here. I mean, I was like, yeah, did you get that from Jack Burton? Exactly. Did you get that from the Lords of Death? Huh? Is that where you got it? (laughs) Good times, man. Um, Can we... I wanted to just spend a minute talking about some of these reviews, because that's sort of where we started with this movie. Let's like... Yeah, totally. Let's jump in and do this. So, like... And you talked about how the reviews were bad, so I... Of course, I went on Amazon just to have a little quick see peek see and I mean, literally, my eyes were bloodshot having watched this film. That's the title of this review. <laughs> Jesus. If acting was as easy as punching your way through a wet paper bag, Vin Diesel would be a permanent pugilist. His dialogue lies somewhere between tuba and incoherent. So I suppose this role is his wheelhouse. There is no explanation of why he has a career and there's no explanation of anything in this movie. I wholeheartedly regret purchasing this movie and asking my 16 and 13-year-old to watch it with me. I turned to them when it was over and apologized. And my initial response to that is, okay, asshole. Yeah, I don't, you know, if this is sort of like what the general view of this movie is, like, I, I don't know, people need to watch it again because there's plenty of interesting characters in it. Yeah, sure, there's plenty of tropey stuff in this movie, man, but this is definitely a movie worth watching at least one time. That's my reaction to it. Sure. Uh, you know, I think I think uh, I, I kind of understand, but I think a lot of people that are giving it really negative reviews are sort of missing the point that the movie is sort of self-referential and meta, and there's something there that's more than just, you know, this is a shitty action movie full of, you know, cliches and tropes. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's what I have to say to it. Right on. Let's just weave that right into rating it. Sure. All right. Uh, so, Ben, you know what? Just continue and rate it. Cool. Uh, I'm going to give it uh, 15 of the $20 that I spent on it. <laughs> mm, I like it, man. That's like awesome. It. Your improbability drive just never fails to deliver. You know, it wasn't. Wasn't terrific. wasn't It wasn't necessarily, you know, uh, surprising me too much with anything new. But it was an entertaining watch. You know, I mean, what what the hell are people expecting from an action movie? You know, like it's not Shakespeare, people. It's just some eye candy and some some fun. You know, 
Yeah, absolutely. Agree. Okay. I completely agree. Uh, algorithm, go. Once again, the algorithm is complicated, and I'm finding that the bottom of the algorithm, which is essentially populated with all of the shitty MCU movies because I just never chose to rate meh movies, has made it so that, like, the bottom of the algorithm is kind of piss poor. So I put an asterisk next to this rating, but as a bit of humor, I want to say that this movie is definitely better than Thor The Dark World. Therefore, it gets a 3.6. Nice. Um, <laughs> because fuck Thor The Dark World. And um, some of the stuff that's in the neighborhood that's relevant to us is like Cobra, Nothing But Trouble, Raw Deal. So I think that Raw Deal being this close to this movie shows that the bottom of the algorithm isn't quite as accurate as I would like it to be. Fair enough. So please forgive that. But um, yeah, I enjoyed it. I mean, it's a cookie cutter comic book movie. The um, attempt at adding something intelligent to my rating is um, kind of the tech world always talks about timing. So like, you know, the greatest app in the world could come out, but if it's too early, then it's just going to fail. So you have to be the right app at the right time or the right company at the right time. And we spoke about Riddick and how Riddick was released too early. So it was a great thing that came out too early. Or I think this is a interesting thing that came out too late. Mm. So I feel like this movie is like, it would have done quite well and, and, and alongside a Spider-Man 2 or 3, you know? I feel like it's... Or, or uh, five years ago. Yeah, yeah, I just feel like, you know, cinema has somewhat moved beyond it, or maybe more specifically, the comic book genre has moved beyond it. And I would argue that, you know, one of Benny's favorites, Thor Ragnarok, is kind of where comic book movies are and um it's beyond the generic spider-man-y fight sequency stuff and so mm. doesn't make this a bad movie it just i think it's a movie that's you know would have done quite well five ten years ago that uh, isn't doing well now unfortunately interesting and yet again proves that uh vin diesel is one of the unluckiest lucky men in the world when it comes to timing yeah, I agree, man. Because I, I, again, I think Vin was great in this, and I don't think we got to see enough of the, sort of the other side of Ray. Yeah, I've already said everything about this movie. You know, like it, it's you know, there's plenty of great surprises in it, and then there's stuff that's not surprising. I think it would have done more justice as a two-hour film, and they should have fleshed out a few more things here. You know, I think the the error maybe in the writing in this film, but this movie's great. It's fun to watch. Great action movie. There's some really great ideas in it. Great story concepts, you know. I don't think they did Isa Gonzalez any justice, but, you know, hey, what are you going to do, man? D ditto Sam Hewen. So one thing I do want to mention that we didn't have a chance to talk about is, you know, you want to talk about cool, different, interesting action scenes. Like we, we sort of bashed the elevator fight, you know, like The Matrix, this, Spider-Man, blah, blah, blah. The scene in the tunnel with the flower truck, that whole thing was definitely something I've never really seen before. I thought it was awesome. Really well done. The flower made it just surreal. It was super cool. So it was just like everything was in these muted tones with this red sort of light, and it was great. And that's all I'm going to say about that. This movie gets a seven, solid seven. It's perfectly serviceable, and I watched it twice, and I'll watch it again. Now I own it. <laughs> yeah, totally. The, um, if, you know, from my perspective, if you're a fan of this show, I think you would enjoy it enough to throw Vin Diesel 20 bones for sure. And I would highly recommend that, that anyone that has the means to put some support behind it, even if it isn't, uh, the best movie in the damn world, it was entertaining enough to, 
to help out a movie that had the worst possible luck in being released like during a lockdown in the shittiest of shit show scenarios. <laughs> Absolutely, man. And and any of you folks at home out there, you got thoughts on this movie, please throw them up on one of the social medias. Again, like we said last week, you can reach us on Instagram at EBD Podcast, Facebook at EBD Podcast. We had a listener reach out to us who actually reactivated his Facebook account because he couldn't figure out another way to get in touch with us. And Chad, what's our email for everybody? Contact at EBD.FM. There you have it. Contact at EBD.FM. So uh, let us know what you think because this discussion doesn't have to be over. Uh, Folks, anyway, that was our sort of uh, short roundup on Bloodshot. Hope you enjoyed I enjoyed doing it. I wish we could have talked about this more. And I actually honestly want to start reading the comic now because I'm really intrigued by this entire world. So uh, thanks again for joining us. I'm Mulvey saying so long for now. See ya. See you later, everyone. And that's going to wrap up this week's episode, folks. I'd like to take a second and thank everybody so much for tuning into the show. It means the world to me and the boys. And if you'd like to support the show, there's a couple of great ways you can do it. You can rate and review us on iTunes, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, wherever you get your podcast muffins. You can also tell somebody to check out the show as word of mouth is incredibly powerful and incredibly important. Thanks so much for tuning in. You can find the show notes for today's episode in your podcast app of choice or at our website, ebd.fm forward slash episodes forward slash 53. You can ask us questions using the Twitter hashtag AskEBD. You can find me at Mulverine on Twitter. You can find Chad at ChadNormal on Twitter. And you can find Ben at JarHigo on Twitter. Thanks again for tuning in, folks, and we'll see you next time.